Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. Hey, good morning, Collective. Uh, my name is Austin Hedge, as Michael mentioned. Uh, I'm the associate pastor at the Foundry Church in Baltimore. Uh, my wife and I moved to Baltimore in 2013 to help start the Foundry. Uh, behind me, hopefully, you'll see a, a picture of my family. Uh, we have three little kids. We have Micah, who's our four-year-old, and is crazy. And if you're here afterwards, you'll see him running around. He loves the space because we don't have this uh, on a Sunday morning this big of a space. Uh, we have our two-year-old Penny and then our four-month-old Sophie as well. Um, about a year after we moved to uh, Maryland in 2014, uh, our, our church, our staff got together and we went down to this, this church planting conference down in Orlando, Florida uh, called Exponential. And the cool thing about Exponential is it brings church planters from across the country together in order to, one, just build up a community and learn a little bit about what church planning is and how we can do it better and what conversations we need to be having. Uh, And so we went down there to see some of our donors, to see some of our management team, the people helping us make the decisions, and some of our just friends that are on church staffs uh, like ours. So one of the things we would do is we would rent a a house when we were down there uh, because one of the best parts of it was you just get to hang out with friends that you don't get to see very often that live in different cities and different places. Uh, and so we, we rented this house, uh, and we were one of the last ones to get there. So we, we walk up the stairs, and I'm looking at my room assignment, and I walk in, and I see uh, this photo, the, what, what the, uh, the owner called the princess room, which I was, I was stoked to be in. <laughs> Um, and just a few minutes later, uh, this guy walks in named Michael Bartlett, uh, because he was going to be my roommate for the week. So, uh, we had known each other a little bit before that, but it was really through that time that we began to develop a relationship and a friendship. Uh, soon after spending a week in the princess room, uh, we started meeting on a monthly, monthly rhythm, typically at a Chipotle in, uh, Columbia. Uh, and more recently, it's been at the Roast House Rose House Pub here uh, in Frederick. That place is awesome. Um, So I am excited to be here. Uh, We have had the opportunity to be with you guys, I think five times now, my wife and I, uh, because the Foundry loves Collective. The Foundry is uh, involved in what you are doing here at Collective. We've had the chance to to serve the kids here. We've had the chance to serve on the production here. We've had the chance to just be here and encourage you because we believe in what you're doing. We're excited for what is happening here in Collective, uh, and I'm stoked to be here uh, today. So if you guys weren't here last week, you guys kicked off this new series on Qualified, uh, talking about different Bible characters and how they have these major, major flaws, and yet God says, I want to use you. I want to do something amazing with you. And to be honest, when I started talking to Michael about coming here, I thought, man, this is this is a perfect series I feel like I should preach at. I feel like this is, this is a great connection to who I am. See, for so much of my life, I feel like I have been that person where I am unqualified for multiple different reasons. Uh, one, one instance that, that I thought of when I was thinking about what to, to say today was back in 2011. Uh, my wife and I were, were recent married. Uh, we were in our first year of marriage, which 
is not easy. If you are married, you know that that first year is tough. Uh, at the same time, we were still both in school. We were studying uh, our undergraduate program. And, and also, I had just gotten hired to do youth ministry at, at this small church in this small town in, in Missouri. And a couple months into this specific role to do youth ministry, uh, the only other staff member that was on staff with me decided to resign three months in, which left me feeling clueless as a 21-year-old here trying to, to lead this church, trying to do the best I could, yet feeling so unqualified. And I would go home and feel unqualified in my marriage because, again, I've been married for six months, eight months. To be honest, I, I lasted about eight months after this guy resigned because I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle the pressure. I felt so unqualified and so unfit for the role that I was put in that I, I ended up quitting. Fast forward to uh, 2013, as I mentioned, we moved out here. And one of the biggest insecurities that I had to get over was the fact that I got a job based on nothing on my resume, but because of one reference. In fact, my resume said, don't take a chance on this guy, don't hire him. But I had one guy that believed in me, his name was Dave Smith, he, he was a church planner, uh, he was a professor in college, and he said, give this guy a shot. And so we moved to Baltimore, and I felt completely scared, unsure of myself, we, we had a, a support system back home, or at least I thought we did, because there was quite a few of them that said, you guys are crazy. We don't think you should do this. This is nuts. You know, and, and to make things more crazy, my wife and I, within uh, two months of moving to Baltimore, found out we were pregnant with our first kid. Uh, and we were living in a one-bedroom, high-rise apartment in downtown Baltimore, now, that's, that's unqualified right there. In my marriage, in my job, as a parent for the first time, and even the, the logistics of our, our living space, we weren't ready. We weren't prepared. We were unqualified. And yet we were thrown into this position to help start this church, and here we are five years later. And our church is, is at a good spot. We, we just actually are moving into a new location uh, which will allow us to be more uh, intentional in the neighborhood that we're in. We're moving into an old church building that was built in the 1890s that their church has handed over to another church who is leasing it to us for a five-year lease, which is incredible, and it's going to provide us a ton of opportunities. And it's been exciting to see how God has used myself and other volunteers who are here with me today, our other staff members, to, to grow this church to make it a place where people can come and know about who he is. So today uh, we, we're jumping into um, the topic of Moses, the character of Moses, which probably you've heard of, whether you grew up in a church or you didn't grow up in a church, or if this is your first Sunday, you've probably heard of this guy named Moses. Uh, he's, he's known to be the author of the first five books of the Bible, and really he is the protagonist of four of those books. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, he is the character in these books. And Moses was incredibly unqualified. In the, in the video that was just shown, it talked about his speech impediment. 
But that was just one of the ways that he was unqualified to lead. And yet God said, I, I want you to go and do some amazing things. So, so let me show you the, way that's, the ways that he was unqualified. But before we do that, let me jump into just a little bit of the context of where we're going to pick up. So Exodus is uh, the second book of the Bible, if, you, if you're looking in a paperback or even on your app. Uh, the first book is the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, we learn about the creation account. We learn about humans taking their own future into their own hands and choosing to say, hey, God, I've got this over you. Uh, we learn about God then desiring to have this relationship and trying to reconcile humanity. And then we start to follow this genealogical line that God says, I'm going to speak through them. I'm going to work through them. And kind of that's how we trace the rest of the book of Genesis. That is the majority of the book of Genesis. And in the very end of Genesis, you see this guy named Joseph. And Joseph was a man who had 12 brothers. And his brothers hated him. They were jealous of him to the point that they sold him into slavery because they hated him so much. Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt, and after some just incredible, miraculous events, he rises to power in Egypt and begins to be a decision maker there, to make some pretty incredible decisions. And if we fast forward a few chapters, uh, again, this is the very Cliff Notes version of the story of Joseph, uh, but if we fast forward a few chapters, we find his brothers coming and saying, hey, there was a famine where we're from. We need relief. We need help. They don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph says, okay, okay, I, I'll help you. He reveals himself to his brothers, and he gives them a place to live. He gives them a place to stay and helps them out. And, and so we, we fast forward a little bit more to the, the start of the book of Exodus. In the start of the book of Exodus, uh, we see that Joseph and his brothers are all dead. Basically, that's the very beginning of Exodus is that all these men have died. And over time, the Egyptians forget about the story of Joseph. They forget about the, the great things that he did as a leader in Egypt. They forget about the brothers who came. And over time, their ancestors, which are called the Israelites, they're called the Hebrews, they begin to be put into slavery and into bondage in Egypt because the Egyptians begin to just hate these people. It leads to this point uh, where we pick up the story of Moses, where Pharaoh, who's the leader of Egypt, says, I'm, I'm going to have all of the Hebrews, all of the Israelite baby boys killed, murdered. And there's this woman who, who decides, you know, I, I'm going to still do it. I'm going to risk it. I'm going to have my baby boy. I'm going to hide him. And this is Moses. Moses is born, and for about three months, uh, his, his mother hides him, and then it gets to a point where she can no longer do that. So she creates this basket, she puts him on the Nile River, and, and sends him, hoping that somehow he will find some relief, somehow he will be able to be safe. And interestingly enough, Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And Pharaoh's daughter decides, hey, this is, this is a three-month-old baby. Boy, I know he is an Israelite, I know he is a Hebrew, let me take him in. I'm going to make him part of my family. And so in just a moment, Moses, as an infant, goes from I should be dead to part of the royal family in Egypt. 
the change in his trajectory has immediately changed. And this is where we are going to pick up today. Uh, we're going to start today in looking at chapter 2 in Exodus, uh, chapter 2, uh, in verse 11. So it says this, One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them at their hard labor. So Moses, Moses, despite being a part of the royal family, still knows that he is a Hebrew. So that must have been taught to him at some point. He knows that his people are enslaved while he is a part of this new family that is enslaving his people. We keep reading, it says this, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So Moses sees this Egyptian beating on a Hebrew man, right? And one of the things I think is so interesting about this, this, this passage, this story, is this note here where it says that Moses, Moses saw this happening and he looks around. And thinks he must be thinking to himself, is anyone watching me? And if no one's watching me, what am I willing to do that I wouldn't be willing to do if someone was? And here he obviously makes this decision to kill the man. See, this is, this is the first attribute I think about Moses when I think about why he is unqualified. And that's due to his bad decisions, his poor decisions he made. And if you're like me, maybe you're sitting here and you're going, I'm not capable of murder. Like, that's not something that most of us would feel like we are capable of. But I think the, the questions we need to ask ourselves is more the questions of this little note that we see. What am I willing to do when no one else is looking? What am I capable of? What have I done and hurt other people? There are many times that, that we make bad decisions and the way that we handle them is by covering up them with lies. Like Moses did. He hid this man in the sand so no one would hopefully find him. C.S. Lewis is, is a famous Christian author. He said this one time about uh, the topic of integrity. He said, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. And so when we allow ourselves to have a divided allegiance, we allow ourselves to not have a specific target, I think a lot of times we do this. We allow ourselves to make poor decisions when no one else is watching and when we think we won't get in trouble. Because I think so often if we think of life as, as a giant target, we just want to get on the target. We just want to maybe even miss by a foot or two. But we forget the bullseye in the middle that's what we should be aiming for. We say, oh, it's, it's okay if I miss the mark by a little bit. Like, that, that lie wasn't too bad. You know, and it's, it starts with the little things. It starts in the lies and, and the ways when other people accept you know, you know some of the lies that, that we accept, right? Someone comes up to you today and they ask you, how are you doing? You say, I'm good, I'm fine, things are great. It's very rare that we actually dive into, well, actually, let me tell you about how rough my week has been. The chaos that has ensued. I, another lie I think that, that we find ourselves often telling, you know, someone, in Baltimore we have a lot of homeless people and a homeless person comes up to us and they say, hey, hey man, do you have any change? And my answer is, nope. 
No change on me. Because that's a socially acceptable lie. It's something we've convinced ourselves it's okay to tell because what harm is it causing? And I think if we, we want to look at Moses' story and learn from it, I think one thing we have to realize is that those little lies add up. The things that we're willing to do when no one else is looking or when no one else cares make a difference. That is our integrity. You know, and, and everyone in, in this room has been there. We've all made poor decisions. We've all made bad decisions. Maybe not as bad as murder. But, but I think we need to begin to ask questions about our own integrity. And, and I think when we begin to ask that, I think there's a few things that we should do when we make these bad decisions. There's a few things that we should do that we often don't. The, the first thing is this, is I think when we make these bad decisions, the place we should bring them is here, to the church. The, see, the church is designed to be a place where we can come and we can say, I'm not okay. My week was a mess. My kid is driving me crazy. We want to get pregnant, but we just, we can't. We've invested all this money into all of these different treatments. It's supposed to be a place that we can bring those hurts and those burdens, and yet so often, often we don't. And maybe you're in this room and you, you've been to collective maybe once or twice and you're trying it out five times, and maybe you're thinking this, maybe you're thinking, collective isn't a place for me because everyone there has it all together. And if that is you, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. In fact, what I tell you, if, if that is you, don't run out the door afterwards, but instead run to one of the tables and get involved in one of the local collectives and start opening up about what's really going on. Start showing the hurts and the pains and the struggles that you're dealing with. Start telling and admitting the bad decisions that you've made because that is the only way that we can heal from those bad decisions. And, and church Christians, this one's for you if you're in this room today and you would say, I am a Christian, when someone does that, listen. Step near. Invest in their lives. Don't run away. But instead, be present. Open up your home and care for them. The, the second thing I think is this when we make bad decisions. I think it's important that we remind ourselves that we're not unusable. Right? That's the whole idea of this, this series. Later in chapter 2, we read that, that Moses flees, flees Egypt, and he runs to this desert community, and he hides. And, and when we keep reading, we see something really cool happen. God steps near to him. In fact, he starts to speak to him in an audible voice. I don't know about you, but I'd love to hear God in an audible voice. And when God speaks to him, he doesn't say, man, you really messed that one up. Or, I know what you did. You may think that no one else knows, but I, I know. But instead, God says, Moses, I've got something in store for you. I've got something planned for you. I want to use you to do something incredible. And I think it's important here that we not limit God. That we not say, God... I have messed up, I've done these bad things, and therefore you can't use me. 
Because who are we to really say that about God? Let him show up. Let him send you where he wants. And, and the last thing here with, the, with bad decisions, I, I think something that's important is that we remember that sometimes there's still consequences here on earth. It's not like that we can just do whatever we want and get away with it. When we view God as this get-out-of-jail card, we really cheapen grace. We cheapen what he's been given to us. And we put ourselves in a, a position to not really heal and not really grow. We just kind of approach every bad decision with a shrug. So, so let's jump back in here uh, to Exodus, and we'll see the second way that I think Moses is unqualified. And that's due to his physical circumstances. In Exodus 4, um, God tells Moses to go into Egypt. He wants to take this man, Moses, and he wants him to free this entire people group. Sounds like an easy job, right? And what he, he says uh, is he says, hey, I, I've got these, these different uh, miracles I'm going to allow you to do. And you can use these miracles in order to show the Egyptians that the divine is here, the divine is present, that this is what the divine actually wants. And Moses here, God shows him some of these miracles, and he says this. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in my past nor, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. So God makes himself known to Moses. He talks to him in an audible voice. He performs miracles in front of him. And Moses goes, nah, I don't speak very well. I don't, you got the wrong guy. Right? That's, that's crazy. And, and I think that if we were in Moses' situation, we'd, we'd do something different. I like to think that I'd be like, all right. After that, the, you know, turn your rod into a snake thing, I'm in now. Because that was scary. But I think a lot of times uh, we, don't, we don't allow God to be there and to be present. There, there's this uh, clip from this movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, that I think sums this up pretty well. They're going to play this right now. This. One day, a man was drowning in the water. And the bull came by and said, do you need any help? He said, no, thank you. God will save me. And another bull came by and said, do you need any help? And he said, no, thank you. God will save me. Then he drowned it and went to heaven. And he said, God, why didn't you save me? And God said, I sent you two big bulls here, dummy. <laughs> do you like it? Yeah, it's very funny, man. Come here. How often does that happen in our lives, right? Where God says, I'm here, I'm meeting a need that you have, and we say, now nah, I'm going to wait for the next boat. I'm good. And in fact, a lot of times I think we respond with, with this, this term or phrase, yeah, but, and then you can fill in the blank for whatever that is, right? And I think that these different situations come out in different ways, right? There, there's some different yeah buts I think we have, right? The first one I think is this, is I think that sometimes when we say that phrase, I think that we're talking about different physical or mental impediments that we actually have, like Moses. He says, I don't speak very well, so I, I think 
you should find someone else. And maybe, maybe God is telling you, I've got something great in store for you, and you need to just step out and, and kind of ignore that you have those limitations. And not in a way where I'm saying, hey, let's take a verse like Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me straight out of context, where I'm like, oh, man, you know what God wants from me? I'm going to join an NBA roster tonight. And the room laughs because they know that's not the case. That's ridiculous. But in a way where we say, hey, God, I know this thing may be a limiting factor for me, but I'm willing to trust you. I'm willing to step out and take a step beyond where I feel comfortable because I think you're going to show up. And I think you're going to move here. The second time I think that sometimes we use this phrase, yeah, but is sometimes due to the actions of other people. Let me be clear here. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have hurt. I'm not sh- saying that we shouldn't have pain or anxiety or depression. But what I am saying is that in, in order to move forward, to move past those yeah buts, I think sometimes we have to go back. We have to go back and we have to actually address the wounds that we have And we have to allow them to heal properly. And if we don't, we'll always use those as a reason why we don't want to follow where God is calling us. If you want to dive deeper on on that type of a topic, which I'd encourage every single individual in this room to do, there's a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. And it is an incredible book to help you dig deep and to wrestle with the different things that have shaped me and have a better emotional intelligence for how I can live my life today. The, the last time I think sometimes we use this phrase, yeah, but I think it's sometimes due to our stage of life, our circumstances. Moses had a family. It's not something that I've necessarily talked about, but if you read the text, he has a family here with him in the desert. And he could have used them as a crutch, but he doesn't. And I think that a lot of times we're so quick to use those circumstances as reasons not to follow where God is calling us or leading us. Because I think sometimes God says, hey, I have something great in store for you. And our response is, yeah, but God, I'm single. You don't know what that's like. Or or God, I have little kids at home. Do you know how hard that is? Do you know how exhausting that is? Or or even, even, hey, God, I'm just in Frederick for a year or two. I'm just going to school here, and then I'm going to check out and go somewhere else. So why should I really invest in this community? And I'm telling you that that God can use incredible things. He can use you to do these amazing things. And I think it's important for us to acknowledge our stage of life and our circumstances. Don't get in over our heads, but at the same time, step in, step near, invest Be present. Don't allow all of those reasons to limit how God uses you. Because I think that God understands those limitations probably better than we even do. The the last thing I think that we we find here, or that at least I will talk about why Moses is unqualified, is how he viewed himself. If we were to be honest, I think 
a lot of us fall into two different categories when, it ta- when we talk about our own view of ourself, our own self-esteem, right? We, we have one category that is overly critical of ourselves. We have a very negative view of ourselves. And we have another category that is, I think I am the best. I am awesome, and everyone should be more like me. Right? And I think most of us fall into one of those two categories, or depending on the circumstances of life, we may lean this way or that way, right? You know, if you're a parent in the room, you may be thinking, like, either I've got parenting figured out, and everyone should do parenting as I do it. Or you're on the other side and you're thinking to yourself, I'm a, a train that is about to derail and I need someone to take control of this because I can't do it myself. Or, or if you are single and you're in the dating scene, I think that you may fall into that too where you go, hey, it's definitely their problem. They're the one that ruined this date. They're the one that ruined this relationship. Or we go to the other side where we say, it was me. I'm terrible. I don't deserve this. They hate me, they're never going, I'm never going to find anyone. And I think we fall into these two categories, typically. And it may fluctuate depending on our life stage or, or the circumstances. But we rarely have this moderate view of who we are. Or maybe we just present ourselves in a different way than we feel on the inside. Maybe we present ourselves as having it all together, but we really feel like we are a train wreck. And Moses, in these early chapters of Exodus, we see God talking to him. And over and over and over again, we see Moses go, you need someone else to do this. I'm not very great. I, I can't speak very well. They, they won't believe me if I go. Who am I? He has this extreme low view of who he is and doesn't view himself in God's eyes. And the irony is a little bit later on, we see Moses in the desert with the Israelites after he's rescued them, and constantly he is saying, these dang people, they are driving me nuts. If they were just like me and had more faith like me, we wouldn't be in this position, right? We we see this dichotomy for Moses even within just his life. I mean, God speaks directly to him. He shows him miracles and Moses' response is, yeah, I'm good, God. Like, wrong number, who dis? Like, that's his response. So, so last week I was reading this, this article by Forbes, and it was called, Why You Should Stop Trying to Fake It Till You Make It. My, my wife and I talk a lot about that phrase because we both dislike the phrase. And we, we think that that phrase is actually really detrimental to the church. And largely it talked about if we want to succeed and we want to grow, the things that we should focus on is learning, growth, being honest, and being who we are. And if you're here today and you think that being a part of church is faking it till you make it, or you think being a part of a church is being fake, you are not going to feel comfortable at Collective. In fact, I'd encourage you to probably try to find another place. Because Collective is a place from all of my conversations with Michael, and from being here a handful of times, I know that Collective values vulnerability and honesty. They value sharing who they are, not being fake. They, they want to be true to who they are, to learn together, and then to grow into who God wants each one of us to be. And so I think it's important for us to have a God's eye view of ourselves. 
to not be obsessed with the boxes that culture is trying to put us in or that even the church is trying to put us in, but instead allowing God to define who we are and our own identity in him. I think that God reminds us when we feel unloved and undeserving and unqualified that we are his adopted children, that we are special. And I think if we view ourselves as having it all together, I think God reminds us as well, man, you're pretty jacked up and broken. But I can still do something pretty cool with you if you let me. So, so where do we go with this? What do we do with this? I, I, I think to some extent... There's some things we can learn from, from Moses and his story. Here's, here's just three quick points of application that I think we can all just take away from Moses feeling like he was unqualified. I think the first is this, is it's important to forgive ourselves and to forgive other people. We've made bad decisions. Every single individual in here has made bad decisions. And if we want to move to where God wants to take us, it's important for us to forgive ourselves for those bad decisions and to ask other people to forgive us as well. The second, I think, is to go back to go forward. It's what I was talking about earlier. Much of our lives are uncontrollable and we have been gravely impacted by other people, by our own impediments, by different seasons of life. And God says he knows that. He knows where you are at. And to not let that wound fester and heal improperly, but instead, let's go back, let's clean it out well, and let's do something. Let's do something cool. And the third thing is this, is to view ourselves in God's eyes. The world and the church is screaming at us for who we should and shouldn't be. They're telling us who we should be based on our generations, based on masculinity or femininity, based on beauty, and it's important for us to, to view ourselves how God views us instead. And to move forward and to create actions following where he wants to lead us. Let us let's pray, uh, and then we'll enter a time of communion. God, I am thankful that you use the unqualified. I'm thankful that we don't have to have it all figured out and we don't have to be perfect. And still you say, I want to use you. Still you say, I want to make a difference with you. I want to impact a community through you. God, I pray for, for the people of Collective, for the people of Frederick, that we embrace this, that we embrace this call to not be okay and to be honest about that. To be real with being unqualified and turn to you instead. In Jesus' name. Amen.